Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Lisa Rubin. Katie Harms. You know, at some point, I think we're going to have to do a podcast in which we come in and you say... Katie Harms. And I say Lisa Rubin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just mix it up a bit. Here we are in uh, season three. Episode two, Katie. Episode two, trying some inventive new ways (laughs) to come into the show. Hey, we are in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we're not going to talk long at the beginning because we have Dr. Terry Johnson coming on to join us. And we are going to ask a lot of questions. Both you and I have gone out and asked our friends, okay, really, is there any questions that you want asked that you really are almost embarrassed to ask? Or I think it's even more so that you go in and you meet with your doctor and you go through everything and they say, is there anything else? And you kind of go blank because you feel rushed. So this is an opportunity. Not just rushed. Sometimes you're embarrassed or you don't know if the question you're going to ask is a question that they want to answer. Good point. So we're going to ask those questions. Yes, we are. And And in amongst all of that, I think, you know, really focused on women, obviously, which we tend to do on this show, but it's been interesting some of the things that are coming out just in the universe. I think things are changing and shifting and how people are working and where people are working and, and how they're negotiating where they are in their work world lives. I think all of that is changing. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch in the coming year and beyond how that affects women. And I think one of the big things that I'm seeing tying into women's health is I think it's no longer okay to have to work yourself to the bone and feel embarrassed or feel like you can't talk take care about of yourself. It. What I feel is happening is there's a shift in the fact that it is no longer celebrated to work 60 hours a week and to be constantly trying to attain something and at the detriment of ourselves. Yes and no. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. A lot of the clients that I am helping right now, many of them are not going back to the office, but they are working from home. They're working remotely. They are starting to travel a little bit, but they're still really really, really exhausted and tired because some of my clients are saying to themselves, I used to be able to go home, be with my family, have dinner, put my kids to bed or whatever you're going to do, and then take some self-care time. Now people are answering emails and they're doing a lot of other things because their home is their office. So I, I think what you're saying is very true, but I also think a lot of the flip side is happening too. And so people are having to learn how to find balance. They had their work family, and then they had their home family. And some people were very good at separating that, but now it's kind of all in one because they're really not with their work family very much. And some people are returning to that. I talked to someone today who is going to be starting in November, returning a few days a week to a large office and is very reticent about that. And I think that's interesting as well. This is a person who is 
an extrovert. And so it will be, it's interesting how this has changed our thinking on what we're doing. And I think that's going to be something to dial into and have more discussion with as we go on. But really, this one's devoted to our health. That kind of fits in with our health a little bit, but this is devoted purely to women's health. Yes. And we're going to start where it's most important with the girls. Let's welcome (laughs) Dr. Terry Johnson. Dr. Terry Johnson, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. (laughs) It's good to have have you here now give us some background i am an obgyn doctor who is at obgyn west so i've been there for 34 years wow you have seen you've run the gamut you've seen it all correct i mean you've got history she's gone from delivering the babies to delivering the baby that she delivers oh, babies man, that's yes. even perfect i love that <laughs> so i know you two have a history in 34 years lisa you've had obviously children? Yes. So she delivered my first baby, which she was not supposed to be the doctor that delivered Shelby, my daughter. The doctor that was supposed to deliver a month before said, oh, I really apologize, but I'm not going to be able to deliver. I'm going to be out of town or wherever he was going. I don't even remember. And I had a complete meltdown, so upset. And he said, but I have a perfect person for you. And so it was Terry and she was more than perfect. And so she delivered my daughter, my son, and then we've just built a friendship with this too. She is also a doctor to my entire family. I think that's wonderful. Every woman in my family goes to Dr. Terry Johnson. I love that. And you probably have a very large base of people who could give me the same story. Yes. And The other thing is when you're in practice, when you first start out, for a number of years, you do the OB part, delivering babies, and you do the GYN. And as you get older, and at this time, I'm off call, so now I'm not doing obstetrics. Sure. So it is the GYN, the perimenopause, and the menopause. So you basically age with your clientele. Yes. And you experience all those things with them, which makes you even more valuable, I would think. Well, I I think that it is because... I've experienced labor, delivery, perimenopause, menopause. Well, we have questions. So I think your daughter was the one that suggested this would be a really interesting thing to do, and especially tied to Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so we're going to start with the girls. We're going to give them their proper discussion. And the first question is, how many people do you see that actually do breast exams? And is there a proper way to do them? I would say... 50-50. The younger women don't do breast exams, and we typically start them a little bit later, and most do not know how to do them or do them correctly. All right. Well, this is going to be kind of hard because we're going to talk through how do you do it correctly? And there's another question tied to that is why don't the young women that you see do it? I think part of the reason is, is breast cancer is not as common, but it's still there. We still pick up younger women with breast cancer. So the time to do it would be for women still having periods would be after their menstrual cycle because their breasts aren't as swollen or tender. And some say doing it in the shower with water, they can feel things a little better. Otherwise, we'd have her laid down. And there are guides online you can look at. When you come in, you can ask about that because there's a few different ways to do it and what's ever most comfortable for them to do. Okay. So if I go into the shower tonight and I'm going to put my arm over my head, yes? Correct. Then I'm going to take my opposite hand, not the one on my head. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm going to make small circles. You can make small circles starting at the nipple area going outward, or you can do it in quadrants going from the nipple straight out and around. Either way. Okay. Now I know there are women that have fibrous breasts. So what am I looking for? Well, in the younger you are, the more fibrous your breasts are. So you're going to feel what we would say is lumpy, bumpy areas. They would be smooth, not very tender, and I tell people not sticky. Like some cancers, not all though, are like if you take a piece of bubble gum under a sheet of paper and you push the paper down, that would be your skin. So if it's a cancer in general, but not always, it's going to be sticky and I'm not going to be able to move the skin around it. It's going to be stuck to the cancer. Interesting. That is the most helpful thing I think I've ever heard described about what you're looking for when you're looking for breast cancer. But there are breast cancers that are also like little marbles or pea-sized areas that the skin moves around, they're mobile. But in general, something that's stuck, doesn't move, hard, irregular. But anyone who has a lump or something they perceive as new from previous exams, we'd want that person to come in for a breast exam. Is there other things that women should look for that possibly not just lumps in your breast, but like a leaking nipple or other things that if something should happen that they should be more aware of and come in and see their doctor? Yes. If your nipples starts to retract or go inwards, we want to evaluate that. Nipple discharge can be clear, yellow, or milky. We would still evaluate that. What we worry more about is if it's bloody. And we also worry about different colorations of the breast. So if the skin on the outside gets a reddish pink color and the skin feels kind of firm, we would want to evaluate that also. Okay, that's very good to know. So... Lots of changes happen to your breasts over time, and they do a lot of hard work. (laughs) So there's so many changes that happen, and your breasts go through changes throughout life. They do change because usually they're really fibrous, dense, and when you start mammograms... It's painful. Not for most people. Really? Oh my God, mammograms are so painful for me. It, It feels like someone's pinching my arm as hard as they can. But just for a few seconds. Yeah, so here's my question. Is it more painful for people that have little breasts or big breasts? I would say little breasts. There was the problem. Yes, I think that. (laughs) I would say mine are painful, but not that kind of painful. (laughs) Right, because they want to get all the breast tissue in. So if they're smaller, they have to do some more tugging and pulling. Yeah, there's a lot of tugging and pulling that go on with the mammogram. But when you do a mammogram and when you do do them in your 40s, your breast tissue is more dense. So now new regulations are we comment or the radiologist comments on breast density, where five, six years ago, that was not being done. And 3D mammogram is more accurate to see through density and pick up changes in the breast. So we do recommend 3D mammograms. And then as a woman ages, typically women also put on weight. So you have a little more fatty tissue in the breast. So you have that from weight gain. Also from aging, you have decreased breast tissue or decreased fibrous tissue. So then typically by mid-50s, your breast tissue will smooth out and we'll see less density, which means it's also easier to read the mammogram. Interesting. Well, there's your problem, Lisa. 
it's still going to hurt because you haven't put on weight. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> Not to that extent. <laughs> I think that's that's part of it, you know. Or also having smaller breasts, they probably don't, like I think mine, we have to pick them up they from sink. the knees and put them up onto the little the little table to get smushed before we, and that's just the joys of having larger breasts. See yes. what you're missing out on? Yes, I see what I'm missing out on. <laughs> I do, but I, I'm okay with the little breasts. <laughs> well, and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That they all serve their purpose for what they're supposed to do through our lives, but we have to keep them healthy. I want to ask you this question. There has been some people who say, I'm I'm not getting a mammogram because of the, is it radiation that goes into a mammogram? Why would someone not want to get a, a mammogram? I think pain or discomfort from the mammogram, which is minimum lasts for just less than 10 seconds. I think the fear of the unknown, what if it picks up something? That's the bigger one. Radiation is minimal. I liken it to flying. So if you fly a lot at high altitudes, you're getting more radiation than you are from a mammogram. Really? It's minimal. Wow. Okay. So to put that, you know, putting it in perspective, which people don't realize. No. And it's typically once a year. Right. And we fly, hopefully, we'll get back to it, more than once a year. Hopefully. And the radiation is there because of the plane or because... It's the altitude. It's the altitude. Yeah. How fascinating. Okay. Another new thing I'm learning. I'm learning so many new things here. So let's change gears for a minute because we're living through COVID and both of us having had daughters who have just had babies. What is the prevailing thought for a pregnant mother to get a COVID shot? And I know we follow a little bit into the pediatric realm as well, but what happens to the woman who gets a COVID shot during pregnancy? What are you finding? Nothing. So we do, the American College of OBGYN recommends every woman considering pregnancy, it does not alter your cycles, it does not cause infertility, to be vaccinated, all pregnant women we want vaccinated. If you develop COVID while you're pregnant, the outcome... Typically, you will do fine, but those are the women that get really sick and end up in the hospital in intensive care. So we do recommend it. It also increases their immunity, which then that transmits to the baby. Absolutely. My daughter was vaccinated when she was pregnant. Actually, my daughter received her first shot and was not able to get the second one before having the baby. The baby. So then she got her second one afterwards. But even then they said she's giving, she's in better shape than not having it at all. So we were very happy she had the opportunity to do that. So when you're pregnant and post-pregnancy, you learn a whole lot about hormones <laughs> and it just keeps going. And what fascinates me is we don't really talk about how many hormones there are and how they all intersect. So that's a good question because typically what I will do is part of the teaching is to go over that. After pregnancy, there are significant hormone changes. We do see depression. We find that if women have a hard time after pregnancy with hormone changes, it kind of recurs during the menopause period. 
because hormones are going to be changing again. I had I did not know that, Terry. I see more women now perimenopause. So I tell everyone 40 and older that menopause means you've missed a year of periods. And I talk to them in their 40s because then we talk a little bit about perimenopause. So I would call anyone 40 and older perimenopause. Average age of menopause is 50. And usually I'll say, well, you're not there yet. You haven't missed a year of periods, but what's going to happen is at some point you're going to have subtle hormone changes. And the changes are in the estrogen progesterone. And the first hormone to fluctuate is the progesterone. So some women, as they get older, will notice that week to 10 days before their period, they'll start to get a little more emotional, a little moodier. And then once they get their period, they feel better. And that's progesterone starting to fluctuate. So there are some people... We'd call that PMS, severe PMS is called premenstrual mood disorder. And if somebody has that, what we talk about is we can either change your hormones and give you a steady state, or we can alter how you're reacting to hormones. So we do have treatment for that. Some women, once they know it's hormone related, just feel better knowing it's physically something happening to your body. As you get closer to menopause, and we don't know what age that's going to be, I always tell people, your body at birth knows when it's going to happen. It just doesn't tell you that. That's a great line. So 50 is average, 45 to 55 is the range. So your progesterone is the first to fluctuate. So you'll get a little moody. At some point, cycles will be off a little bit. And for us, a lot of women come in and expect a 28-day cycle. You know, normal is anywhere from three weeks up to six weeks, especially as women get older. So in order for you to have a fairly regular cycle, your hormones, your estrogen and progesterone have to be in the normal range for you to cycle. So I go over that because some women will come in and they want to know what their hormone levels are. They read about it in different magazines, and your cycles tell me more than what your hormone levels do, because if you're having regular periods, your hormones are normal. If you've missed a year, you're in menopause. So if you haven't missed any, you're you're not in menopause, perimenopause. I describe it more as not the science, it's the art, and everybody goes through that differently. So at some point, you'll start missing periods, and you might miss one period, two periods. And if I checked hormone levels during that time, they're going to be abnormal. As soon as you get a period, they'll be normal. So they're going to fluctuate. So if you have a uterus, and we can tell what your cycles are doing, we know what your hormones are doing. I like what you said about the fact that these are markers. If they're happening, if you're having a regular period, your hormones are okay. So whatever the ranges are of your, your thyroid or whatnot, chances are that's normal for you. Well, so what's happening. So thyroid is totally different than hormones for menopause. Okay. So thyroid controls metabolism. It does other things. And as women age, women will associate menopause with their thyroid being abnormal. And it's really the age of menopause is about the age that your thyroid naturally starts to slow down. 
And it slows down minimally that we can't pick it up in our tests. It's not that sensitive. We can pick up major slowdowns. That's the most common is hypothyroid. But we can't pick up little subtle changes. So in the perimenopause, women will start to notice a little bit of weight gain, harder to take weight off. I always tell people part of it's genetics also. When you're younger, I, my comment is, if you're 20 and I told you you'd look like your mom or dad's side of the family, you'd look at me and go, neither. And as you get older, you see parents looking like grandparents. You're going to look like one side of the family. Whose body build do you have? And what happens as that person gets older? So some of it is the genetics with weight and distribution, what your body looks like. Wow. Okay. But that's kind of digressing because hormones, estrogen, progesterone, once progesterone starts to fluctuate more, then women will start skipping periods. And if you skip a month, I don't know if you're going to skip six months in a row, one month in a row. I do tell people if you haven't had a period and you're going on vacation, you'll get your period. So bring (laughs) things with. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that when you go on vacation, you relax? It could be. But hormonally could be relaxing, but it's just everyone assumes, well, I've missed six months, I'm never going to get a period. And they don't realize you have to miss 12 to say menopause. You know, the other thing that we hear is my hormones are out of balance. Well, they fluctuate, they need to be out of balance to have a cycle in the perimenopause with progesterone fluctuating first and starting to decrease over estrogen. Some of the things we hear as well, I'm estrogen dominant. And I would say, well, of course you are because your progesterone is decreasing first. Then your estrogen will start to decrease so that you could miss six months of periods and say, boy, I hardly had a period. It was really light because estrogen is what builds up the lining of the uterus. Sure. You know, I have got so many more questions and I want to share a story. Um, We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be back. On the View in Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center, next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the take and bake cookies. Available online or in-store truly a capstone for any get-together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we are back. And as usual, the conversation that we're having while we're taking our little break and our Rustica commercial is playing is some good information. And Lisa, you said it best. Say what you said just before we came back in. I said that I help 
clients daily now. And a lot of my clients are in their 40s and 50s. And they are struggling with this whole perimenopause, menopause thing, but they don't know it because they, they can't talk to any about it. They don't know it. And so, of course, I am the therapist. And they'll either burst into tears. They'll do something that is not normally them. And I'll look at them and I say, do you hate everybody? And that will get them generally to laugh or look at me weird. And they'll go, what are you talking about? I said, do you hate your husband, your best friend, your dog, your kids? Well, sometimes. I said, then you're in menopause. <laughs> because it happened to me. Like, I mean, Terry knows. I mean, I had severe panic attacks when I was going through menopause. I, I, I didn't drive for six months, I'll admit to that. But I knew what I was going through, and it was really hard. And we do see more anxiety, panic attacks as your hormones change. Right. And we had a conversation about going on some kind of medication for me. I wish I would have said yes. I have to tell you, I wish I would have said yes. I'll, I'll repeat that. I did not because I think I struggled a lot longer than I could have. Because I do know people that do go on some low form of medication and it makes a world of difference. Well, and what I tell people that are worried about going on medication is we're going to do a little study, a little trial on yourself. You know how you feel. You know how emotional you are. There are different options to try, and it doesn't commit you to anything. If one doesn't work, there's something else. But try it for two to three months, and then you decide how you feel. And if you're feeling better, you can stay on the medication. And once you miss a year of periods, that we would say is menopause. And after that, that first year after you've missed your year, you still will have, you know, symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, the emotional ups and downs. So if you're on a medication for anxiety, I wouldn't stop it when you miss your period for 12 months. I'd wait until you're stable, you're doing well, and you're wondering, why am I on this? Then people go off. But anxiety is a huge part. Yeah. Now, with COVID, I think that's that's something to flip into, too. And especially with women, I think women carry a lot of the brunt of not only being out in the work world, as they have been for years and years, but still being the go-to person in their home life. So you're seeing a lot more stress, a lot more anxiety. Are you seeing a lot more people who are taking advantage of a little bit of an anti-anxiety medication, something that helps them get through this? Are or do they see, come yeah. to you? I mean, do you see them coming to you versus their internist or? They will go, well, for menopause and perimenopause, they'll come to me. If they are unsure and have increased anxiety, and a lot of it's contributed to COVID, to all the new things going on in the world, They'll see their psychologist, they will see their internist or family doctor. But then I see women that come in, and it's more just to verify with them that, you know, yes, there's a lot going on, but part of it is also perimenopause, based on their age and what their cycles are doing. I think whoever you go see, if you are in that demographic of age can help a lot if you right. can say, yep, I'm there, I'm going to go down this. Well, and it's the five to seven years before you miss that year of periods that hormones can start to change, but it would be subtle. We may not be able to pick that up, but when you're skipping periods, then we can talk about, you know, are you doing fine? I tell people, if you have hot flashes, night sweats, emotional irritability, if it doesn't alter your day, 
you don't need to do anything. You can be aware of it. If you're at the point that it's hard to function, then by all means, let's try some different things. And there are a few over-the-counter products we use. I mean, mostly it's prescription, but there are different prescriptions we have, and it does not mean that you are committed to be on them forever. Where does the pill fall into this? So birth control pills, it's interesting because in the past, I would say young women, 80 to 90% birth control pills. So the nice thing about birth control pills as women get into your 40s, we are giving you a steady state of hormone. So you're not going to notice a lot of the anxiety or the irritability or the cycle changes. So you will have minor or minimum symptoms. And typically, you're not going to know when you go through menopause because we're overriding your hormone changes. So around age 49 or 50 is when we start checking the hormone level, the signal your head sends to your ovaries to work to know when you're in menopause to stop the pill. It'll be a little interesting going forward because in the last two to three years, younger women for birth control, cycle control, it is 80 to 90% IUDs. So the IUDs that are hormonal, the hormone doesn't alter their cycle or override their cycle at all. So they will notice the symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats, irritability. Why the shift going from 80 to 90% pill to 80 to 90% IUD? It's convenient. The IUD that does not have hormones in it, the Paragard is good for 10 years. The two IUDs that have hormones in them, the Marina is good for seven years now. The smaller version of the Marina called the Kylina is good for five years. So a lot of younger people want the convenience. They don't want to remember a pill. They don't want to think about it. It's put in and they have years that they don't have to worry about it. And it can come out whenever they want it to come out. So more convenience. And under Obamacare, birth control is now covered. So a Marina IUD in the past was about $1,500 that you paid out of pocket. Now most insurances cover it. So now that it's affordable, meaning it's easy to get, you don't have to pay out of pocket. For most insurances, it's a better alternative for a lot of women. That makes sense. Not to go into a political discussion, but it is really interesting to me that women's health is very uh, regulated in the way that it is. Let's just say that. And And there were times when they thought that birth control was going to be taken away and the fact that you'd have to pay for it. Then a lot of women would do the IUD because it's like it's covered. It's good for five to seven years or longer. Why wouldn't I do it now when I don't have to pay much for it if I'm going to have to pay for it in the future? And thankfully, that didn't happen. That was a very good discussion. But we're going to circle back to hot flashes, night sweats, because they're the worst. So Terry, do you have any suggestions or anything you have found that can help in any way, shape or form? You know, you see sheets now that are made, no caffeine, no sugar. Like for myself, I found that if I didn't drink red wine or have sugar before bed, I had less hot flashes. Red wine is a trigger for hot flashes. Okay, see, there we go. And I don't know with the new bed sheets. No. (laughs) 
you know, some of the over-the-counter, there's new clothing, there's new bed sheets. I don't know how well that works. I have a client that has like this air conditioner thing that she inserted in her mattress and keeps her cool all night, cool air. Oh. She said it works. Uh, I'm sure it does. I, plus, it probably gives her some white noise on top of it, which may be I didn't, part of the issue. I don't know. I think this comes into somewhat of a personal responsibility, and this could be a long discussion too, but if you know something's a trigger, you know, I always laugh at commercials for antacids. If you eat something that bothers your tummy, then maybe don't eat it, and then you won't need the antacid. If you know that you're triggered for a time period, right, I suppose it's trial and error, especially if it's through perimenopause and menopause, Mm -hmm. then there's got to be some other alternatives. But I think that's the hardest thing for us to do is to say, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to stay away from chocolate. If well, especially I get, if when you're in tough, when you're in perimenopause, menopause, giving up the red wine, that's a problem. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword that's too. That's a problem. Especially right. the crankiness. And I mean, let's not even talk about what your family then has to go through. Well, in the majority of women having hot flashes and night sweats will say, they don't alter my day. I know they're there. I'm just going to watch and see what happens and if things get worse come in but there's probably 10 20 percent of women that they alter their day because they may be up two three times a night they're wet the bed is wet from sweating and they're not sleeping well enough to function during the day then i'd say by all means treatment would involve non-hormonal versus hormonal there are a lot of things out there and years ago it was very rigid you tried this medication, if it didn't work, you were done. Now it's really customized that there are alternatives. You can try one thing. If it doesn't work, you can try something else. Are we talking hormone replacement therapy? Um, non-hormone or, something- and, or hormone replacement okay. therapy. Okay. Because I remember when that really became a big deal. It's changing in general, and we don't have a lot of specifics out right now because COVID kind of took over. But I tell people 30 years ago, women were on hormones till they died of natural causes. Then there was a study that said if you're on hormones, you have an increased risk of stroke, heart disease, breast cancer. Most women stopped hormones. We do use hormones for symptoms if they're severe. Now they've redone the studies back 20 years ago that said the harm of hormones. They've redone those studies in Europe, which are final, and they match our preliminary studies, which in the U.S. now the studies would say, well, we see that risk, but not as great as we thought, and we may start putting everyone back on hormones like we did 30 years ago. So the studies have kind of gone back and forth, and we're all kind of just waiting for a little bit because there's not a lot of meetings we can attend at this point. There's some Zoom meetings, but with COVID, everything shut down for a while. So we're waiting to get more information on that. But it sounds like current studies are more positive towards hormones than negative. Very interesting. I'm going to tell you, I at one point, I was one of the people that really struggled with the night sweats, and which seemed like forever. And at one point, I did go and ended up on hormone therapy. And at the time, I believe I had a testosterone pellet inserted. I know Dr. Terry is shaking her head. (laughs) 
And I was under the care of a GYN going through this. And what was so interesting to me is what she said when she did all the first testing. And I think this is really important. You have the hormones of a 10 year old girl. And so I'm sure that was to shock and awe when I think back on all of this. And I think to myself and to what you're saying is it would have depended on when I was tested in the cycle. But also if I'm through it, if I'm through menopause, where are my hormones supposed to be? Well, so estrogen, progesterone, testosterone is also one of the hormones. And half of your testosterone is made by your adrenal glands, which are on the kidney. Half is made by your ovaries. So if you're in menopause, you've lost half of your testosterone. So I would say one of the things we hear is decreased libido. Men's testosterone is a lot higher than women's and doesn't decrease for a long time. So there's always this discrepancy. If if, if you're a couple and you're about the same age, when women go through menopause, sex drive or libido decreases. Men's does not. So there's a huge discrepancy at that point. So my feeling is everybody ad- addresses it differently. So testosterone is totally different than estrogen progesterone. And I know if you've missed a year of periods, your testosterone is low because you've lost half of it. So if I'm going to replace you with testosterone, I don't need to know that level because I know it's low. So in relation to your question, when you're in menopause, you are not, not cycling anymore. You are low. And if it was going to change, you're going to have a period and you're not. So technically, I don't need to know those levels either because that's where you're supposed to be. That's where you're supposed to yeah. be. Yep. So we can never give you enough hormones to get you back to where you were before menopause. And that's we're, not the point. I think right, that's imp- that is not I think the point. At the time, I think that's what I didn't understand or it wasn't. And you want really- that. And you need that because it goes to the point of you had people on the on the pill until they died of natural causes. At some point, naturally, our hormones and our bodies are supposed to shift. Correct. And in menopause, your hormones are low, and that is normal. That's the time they're not fluctuating. And we can supplement to get rid of symptoms. If we try to replace you where you were before, that's way too much hormones. And we think, well, estrogen, if we're going to give you that much, you know, your clotting factors change. Women are more sedentary. You know, you, you'd be at a higher risk for stroke or heart disease. With testosterone, and I, and I would be the first to say, I don't know much about the pellets. We don't do it. But... And nor do I. <laughs> well, the hard part is, is you can't yeah, regulate, you can't regulate how much you're going to absorb. Right. So if you do get a higher dose of testosterone, you could get facial hair acne and get really aggressive and your moods can change well and your moods were changing anyways (laughs) (laughs) but i talk about (laughs) testosterone and all women as you age you will get more facial hair it's normal yes but if if I'm going to do testosterone, we do a lower dose, and it's it's frustrating for some women because I tell them we're gonna you're gonna use it for a month, and in a month if things are better, we've built it up a little bit, then we're gonna maintain and back off. If it's not working in a month, do not stop it. Come in and check your level, because we start out low. So sometimes we just have to boost up the amount of testosterone. So I'd rather do that than overshoot and have you get a bunch of um, side effects. You made a very good point. 
this is the long game. This is not a, I'm going to give you a pill and you're going to feel better in a week. As with most things when you're dealing with health, it's a long game to try to figure out your optimal health. But aging gracefully is something that everybody needs to think about. I agree. Talk more about that. I've been helping women for over 35 years. So when I was younger and helping older women, and I would obviously help them, and they were going through all this, and I'd think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. And then it happened to me, right? But I think that if you can possibly embrace it, everybody talks about their tire that comes around their stomach, right? And I remember my internist said to me when it first started happening to me, and I said, okay, I'm getting the tire like I've seen all my clients get. And I'm getting it. I, I am getting it. And she said, Lisa, I think I was probably in my middle 40s. And she said, Lisa, starting in the middle 40s to late 40s, women that come in to see me, if they haven't gained 10 pounds from what they were in their 20s or 30s, I would have a different conversation with them. And I would be more concerned that they have eating disorders or Correct. other things of not eating because our bodies are supposed to be gaining at least 10 pounds as we age. 10 pounds, what, a decade? Because then I might be right on track. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I know. And now I'm getting the belly like everybody else is getting. And she explained to me exactly why that's happening, how it's happening. Of course, we're all trying new exercise routines. We're all doing different diets. Nobody wants that belly fat, right? And there are things you can do, of course. But as we age, it is a natural thing. I am not a doctor. I agree with you totally. I have been with women for 38 years of all ages. And so for me, I think it's a little easier to digest because I help so many different women. And when women get to that point and go, I I always had a flat stomach. Now look at my stomach. Oh my God, I can't wear that anymore. I can't wear this. I can't. So I continue to have the conversation that I just had with us on this podcast because it's hard for me sometimes. I mean, I put a pair of pants on and go, oh my God, I can't wear these at dinner. The button's hitting my belly button. It's going to really hurt. But you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Well, and listening to you all these years, I would say, buy your pants a size up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have said that, but I mean, you know, you can't go and eat cookies every night and go to bed at at, in your 50s and 60s and think you're going to wake up and you're not going to gain weight, right? Because our metabolism slows down. All of those things happen. But I always say you only have one life to live. So pick and choose what you want to do. That's that's good advice. So Dr. Terry, to that point, your metabolism slows down. All of that happens. You can't eat the things you maybe used to eat. Or the, the quantity or the, the amount. The quantity, right. But what about the cravings? <laughs> Because they seem to be exactly what you're not supposed to eat. And I think some of the cravings has to do with the food industry in general. Because we have so much added sugar to everything. So we want sweeter, sweeter. And food is different in Europe than it is here. So I think our bodies are craving sugar because everything has sugar in it. And it's not to say to eliminate sugar, but just look at the packaging to see how much is in certain And things. salt. Salt is a big one too. Salt's so a big one. Grams of sugar. What should a healthy perimenopausal? I would have to ask the dietitian. Okay. All right. So that gets into a dietitian level, but and and probably everyone's a little bit different, right? Just based Genetically, on- 
there are some women that if you're overweight and you lose weight, you could lose weight in all your upper body and go, well, I haven't lost anything in my hips. Well, genetically, look at the women in your family and the way to lose weight, you may not lose weight in that area. And some people do do, you know, liposuction, all of the cosmetic things. So the hard part is women are always comparing and someone may go to the gym and they're working out and go, well, that person looks so much better. You don't know what they've had done. And it may be nothing and it may be their genetics are great, but they could have had a tummy tuck. They could have had liposuction. You just don't know that. No, that's a a good point. So So don't compare Don't compare yourself to anybody because you're the only you you can be, right? You're the only view in your mirror that you You could be. You are the only view in your mirror that you could be. That is so true. Okay, so we're going to get into the conversation about STDs. And the reason we're going to get into this is because you have friends on the dating scene and widows. And for whatever reason, you may have a different sexual partner than you've had for a long period of your life. For whatever reason, give us some things that should be looked out for. Well, one of the things to do, which I encourage women to do, is if you're in the dating scene and at the time you think, okay, I'm going to be sexually active, come in and get testing so you know you're negative. And we do see some people test positive for type 2 herpes, which is genital herpes. And now the studies have changed a little bit. And there are a third of people out there with genital herpes that have never had a lesion, don't know they have it and can transmit it. So I think it's nice that if you come in and get testing, and you're going to be active with somebody, you can show that partner, I've done the testing, I am negative, look at what I've done, I want you to do the same. Makes perfect sense. What else should be watched out for? Well, I think the thing is women get older, especially once women are in menopause, lack of hormones, the first thing that happens is vaginally over time things get dry. So most women will need a lubricant. And some women, depending on skin type, more sensitive skin, they may need a lubricant as soon as they go through menopause. Some women, it's five, 10 years down the road. And some of the lubricants out there, there's more pleasurable lubricants, I call them the funky ones, (laughs) that are supposed to increase pleasure. A lot of those have menthol in them and they're supposed to tingle in a special way and they're going to burn in a bad way. So women in menopause, your tissue is more sensitive. So when you do the lubricant or go buy the lubricant, check on the back because if you want to try one that looks kind of fun, make sure it doesn't have menthol in it. So standard, you know, KY jelly, Astroglide, some of the silicone products don't have menthol. But if you thought you wanted to try one that looks a little more fun, make sure there's no menthol. Then what will happen with women just being sexually active is at some point, you'll say despite a lubricant, you're uncomfortable because vaginally you're going to lose the stretch. And that's because of lack of estrogen. And if you said despite a lubricant, I'm uncomfortable, then we talk about products estrogen vaginally that it does not bump up blood levels, it acts local. And there are products for women with breast cancer who cannot have estrogen. So there are products that you can use that will help bring the stretch back. I love it. I think the takeaway is don't be afraid to go in and have that conversation. It's a whole new part of your life. Being made aware of all this is really critically important. And it's okay. It's okay to ask and it's, and you want to be comfortable. You do. That's really, you want to be comfortable and you want to have fun. The other question is, is if you are in menopause and you haven't had a period for a year, 
Do you need protection? No. So once you're in menopause, no period for a year means you're not ovulating. So you cannot get pregnant. You don't need anything for birth control. Good to know. And until that time, you do need something for birth control. Whether it's some women have been on birth control pills. Once you're over 35, there's certain criteria for that. But there are women on birth control pills till menopause. IUD is another option. You know, we have injections. We have arm implants, condoms. Again, a point of discussion for what works best for you. I want to take it back to a younger person. And I think this is when it starts. And sometimes it doesn't end for a really long time. Post-birth and aging leakage of urine. I tell women, if you deliver vaginally as you get older, 90% of women will leak. And what happens is if you deliver vaginally, you stretch the vaginal area out. So it's like a hernia. It's a little weaker. Over time, things will start to fall a little bit. So the bladder, where it meets the urethra, the tube to the outside, that angle falls. Things that make it worse are like poor tissue. Women that smoke, we see it more often. Overweight, you have more pressure on that. If you had a chronic cough or if you're constipated, pushing down all the time, or you have a job where you're doing a lot of lifting, that can increase it. But we do see after delivery within the, we wait for six weeks. After that, if you cough or laugh and you leak, urine. We do have physical therapy has come a long, long way. So we are more inclined to have patients go through physical therapy after delivery, after they've recovered, if they're leaking urine, just to tighten things up a little bit. That's something that's really common in Europe that we hadn't done. And now we're more aggressive with that. And for leakage of urine, after delivery, we do see it. It usually resolves because you're young, your tissue is there. Your hormones, once they come back, you know, you're ovulating, you're having normal hormone levels. Once you are close to menopause or you've missed a year of periods, over time, lack of estrogen, that gives strength vaginally. Things will start to fall a little bit. And then we see more leakage of urine when you cough, laugh, called stress incontinence. We also see something called urge incontinence. And what happens is you may be sitting and you get the urge to go, which means your bladder has spasmed a little. And then it should relax. And you should say, yes, I can get up. I can wait. I can get to the bathroom. As you get older, what happens is your bladder will contract to say, you have to go. Then it'll spasm a little. So you'll say, I'm just sitting here and I have a drop coming out. You're leaking and you don't know it. Or if you really get up and try to get to the bathroom, you're going to drip as you get there. Some of that is caffeine related. Also, you want to empty your bladder. So the more your bladder is a really smart muscle. So if it's going to be full all the time, it's going to panic more often. So even if you don't have to go and say you're leaving the house, empty your bladder every few hours. And that also decreases risk of infection. Women in menopause tend to have more um, urinary tract infections or bladder infections because the tissue is more sensitive, more fragile. So women will notice if they have a full bladder and they can't get to the bathroom, it could trigger a bladder infection. Intercourse is another thing that could trigger a bladder infection. So that's a lot more common also in menopause. As you age. And yeah. I would hope women know this. And if they don't, we're going to talk about it now is post sex emptying your bladder. Yes. I tell people you don't have to jump out of bed, but within the hour, go empty your bladder Very to prevent good. bladder infections. Are episiotomies still being used regularly? 
I would say no, but I'd also say the one that's not being used very regularly that used to be standard probably 30, 40 years ago was doing an episiotomy off to the side. So you get into deeper tissue and muscle, and that takes a lot longer to recover. And if if we look down there, you can actually see the scarring from that. Episiotomies now are more straight and Sometimes when you're pushing a baby out and that you can see the head, sometimes the vaginal tissue is so tight that my idea would be is if I have you push and it's really, really tight, do I kind of want it to explode and have this really jagged area to fix? Or do I might... So for an episiotomy, sometimes what we might do is with the scissors, make a little cut. I'm talking like an inch at most or a half an inch just to get rid of that tense tight area. So then it'll open up and it'll it'll rip a little bit more, but it'll be more of a straighter line. Is there a risk of nerve damage? It's rare. You know, the first six months and first six weeks, there's a lot of things going on with your body to get back to normal. More skin sensation damage going to the side, but there's really not big nerves going down from straight from the posterior entrance to the vagina to the rectum. The nerve damage is if you tear into the rectal muscle, because then you may not have as much control with bowel movements. All right. I'm trying to think if I have follow-up questions to that. What do you got on your list? We both have these lists. I think that we've talked about everything that I wanted to talk about on my list. I want to talk about what men go through hormonally. That's a whole podcast, Katie. (laughs) 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 And that's really unfair to ask. She is an OB doctor. I know. I know. I I just wanted to Yes, and you know what? I don't know if they could even answer that question. All I can tell you, though, is in general, as we age, men's products are covered much better than women's products on insurance. Isn't that something? So that's an important thing to know. It is an important thing to know. Do you see that changing anytime soon? It's getting better, um, but it, it is hard because insurance may cover some Viagra. And if you're with somebody your age that needs Viagra, you need estrogen vaginal cream because you're old enough, you may have lost the stretch. And it's getting better. Some insurances are doing a good job covering it, but sometimes it's not covered at all. You know, how often do you find that women have these discussions with their husbands of what's going on with them? I think their discussion is lack of libido in the woman. And the woman feels bad that she's not at the same place sexually as her partner. But I think it's, and now I'm speaking for men, and I don't see men, I think once it comes to as you age, you may not get an erection, it may not last as long. And there are a lot of men that don't want to go talk to anybody about that. And there's a lot of help for that. So the urologist is the one or the internist. Okay. And I think that's a whole nother discussion that they need to have on their levels and all of that. And men tend to not do that nearly as much as women do. Although I think it's becoming a little bit more commonplace. Correct. I think the big thing... I don't want to end with that, Katie. (laughs) Men and hormones. (laughs) Men and hormones. (laughs) You know, what's the saying? Can't live with them, can't live without them. No, we are very blessed to have long-term relationships with our respective spouses. And just as we put up with them, they put up with us. That is absolutely true. And what I think is, A, you need to keep humor, and B, you need to keep the open lines of communication. Because I think aging is messy, and it's weird. (laughs) Yes. And all sorts of things can happen, and none of us know where it's going to go. I 
no, I, I agree. agree. I agree for everybody. And hopefully you're lucky enough to age. Isn't that the truth? That's Amen, what I think sister. about. Yeah, that's that's what I think about every yeah. day when that's I'm true. in my mood. What are the alternatives? Mm-hmm. Lisa, <laughs> Dr. Terry, I feel like there's so much more you could talk about. We just talked about the fact that you said seasonal changes can bring on shifts in hormones, shifts in mm-hmm. hot flashes, all of that. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you don't know. I think to me, it is the most refreshing thing when a doctor can say, I don't know. I love that. So thank you for that. That's that's a gift. But how are we going to end, Lisa? Well, we're going to talk about the nonprofit. But before that, we were going to do the what what to do at what ages. See, part of the right. problem is that we're aging now, Lisa. And so the memory <laughs> comes into play with all of this. And between the two of us, we have a full brain and we're fully functional. But more to just talk about, since it's breast cancer awareness, that, you know, mammograms, typically we would say first mammogram age 40. And there's a little division between like the American Cancer Society versus um, radiology versus OBGYN. We're pretty similar. There's a few little differences. But in general, we'd say no family history of breast cancer. You start at 40. Some would say, well, if it's normal with no family history, you do your 40, it's normal. You can wait till 45. What we see is women in their early 40s have dense breasts. So in order to assure that we're not missing anything when you do a mammogram with dense breasts, we recommend yearly mammograms. So I always say at 40, it's yearly forever. And it varies depending on family history. If someone was diagnosed early with a breast cancer, then you're going to change screening for that. Okay, so that happens at 40. I feel like big things start. What happens at 45? So 40 is mammogram screening. 45 we has changed that we now want to start screening for colon cancer. It used to be 50, now it's 45. So there are different screening tests out there. One is colonoscopy, one is called Cologuard, another is the FIT test. Those two are things that you do in your home, but that also depends on family history, which one you should do. And then at 50, we talk more, 50 is about the age of menopause. That is the time we recommend a shingles, the shingles vaccine. And then about 60, we talk about a bone density. It depends on when women go through menopause. So if you go through it earlier, you can have some bone loss. We may do a bone density earlier. And I always tell women when we do a bone density, normal means we're comparing you to a 35-year-old and you're not 35. So I don't expect normal. I expect osteopenia, which is loss appropriate for age. Loss appropriate for age. That's important because I think you see these, especially in the day and age of my chart, Yes. Where really you can get your results before your doctor has a chance to talk That's to you about them. That's the hard part because you get results before we get results. So for things that are really important that we need to explain, we may not get results till a few days after you see them in my chart. Right. Which I think is a problem. Yeah. It is a problem. And being on the other end of that and having some health-related issues and seeing some words that are, you know, severe or osteopenia, you know. Osteopenia, yeah. Those types of things on there, you're looking going, ooh, this can't be good. When it's so easily explained that there are only certain words that can be used in charting or in, in these tests, or these are words that are age appropriate. And I think that makes such a huge difference. So I think if anyone is going through that, they need to 
be patient to hear from the doctor. I know lots is changing. That's the other thing that's changing is how we're even providing healthcare in COVID with offices shifting, with people retiring, with people leaving the industry. It's And trying to respond on the computer. Yes. Especially yes. if you don't type very fast. Yes. So we all need to have a lot of patience as we go through this. How do people get a hold of you or someone in your clinic if so, they are interested in receiving care. I'm with OBGYN West and we have offices by Ridgedale in Eden Prairie, Chaska and Waconia. And we do have now we just started up a new mammogram unit at our Ridgedale office. Oh, fantastic. So the phone number is 952-249-2000 for appointments or scheduling. Fantastic. And you have a website as well, I bet. It's obgynwest.net. Very good. We can't thank you enough for being with us. Thank you for asking me. it's It's been a lot of fun. I feel like I've learned a lot. And she's the best. I thank you. I would expect Lisa to say nothing, nothing less, but I also think I agree. So thanks so much for being with us. Before you go... Here's what I'm going to say about we normally have a nonprofit spotlight. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We want you to be cognizant out there of this very critical part of our lives. Take care of yourself first. If you find that you want to go out and do some giving during this month of Breast Cancer Awareness, you can search Breast Cancer Awareness, and I'm sure there are many nonprofits that would come up that would very much appreciate your help. And so we'll leave it at that. Thank you, Katie. It's been fun, Lisa. It has been fun. You know, laughter is the best medicine, right? And when you look in the mirror, you have a phenomenally good view when you are laughing. That is very true. Until next time. (laughs) 